0: Welcome to the KPMG TaxNow podcast. In this podcast, we explore some of the more complex matters across tax, economics, regulation and compliance. Each month we meet with KPMG's foremost experts and other special guests to unpack key issues faced by taxpayers around the globe.
1: Do the new harmonized payroll tax rulings for medical practices actually raise more questions than answers? Hello, my name is Fazana Ahmed. I'm a senior associate in the KPMG Law Tax Dispute Resolution and Controversy team. And I'm looking forward to discussing this question with you and delving further into the application of the payroll tax provisions to medical practices and medical practitioners. With me today is KPMG Employment Taxes Partner Nathan Hamilton and KPMG Law Tax Dispute Resolution and Controversy Partner Keith Swan. The subject of whether payroll tax applies to contractual arrangements between medical practices and medical practitioners is certainly topical at the moment, with the recent release of the New South Wales and Victorian harmonised payroll tax rulings on the 11th of August on this issue, and earlier similar rulings issued by South Australia and Queensland – since then, the New South Wales Government has announced a pause of audit activity on this issue, and the ACT Government will introduce a temporary exemption. These follow the amnesties previously announced in Queensland and South Australia. Each of these amnesties, pauses, and exemptions vary slightly in the application, and to date, there's been no word on any form of amnesty in Victoria. The respective state revenue officers, however, appear aligned on their position that payroll tax would generally be expected to apply where a medical centre engages a practitioner to practice from its medical centre or holds out to the public that it provides patients with access to medical services of a practitioner unless an exemption applies. This view is set out in more detail in the harmonised rulings issued by the various states. It appears from the rulings that the Revenue Officer's position may be far-reaching and potentially applies to standard arrangements between medical centres and GPs, which commonly involve medical centres being engaged by GPs to provide administrative services, clerical and professional staff, rooms and the equipment necessary for the GPs to provide medical services to patients. First to you, Keith. These rulings appear to apply to medical centres that provide members of the public with access to medical services and engage medical practitioners to serve patients on their behalf. Is this likely to capture a broad range of medical centre operators?
2: Thanks, Fazana. I I think that's a really interesting question and I'm not sure there is a a really clear answer. I think in our experience, many medical centre operators don't engage doctors, GPs to provide services on their behalf. In fact, there's regulatory reasons why medical centres generally aren't in a position to be able to provide medical services to, to patients. And um, I think because of that regulatory hurdle, it's it's just difficult to see how the revenue officer's kind of understanding would work in practice. Um, I guess t- t- to the contrary, I think most of the arrangements that that we've seen involve medical centers being engaged by GPs to provide the administrative of services and the room and the equipment etc um in order to allow GPs and doctors to provide medical services to patients um, i think i think that being said if you if you kind of read between the lines of the rulings and and having regard to our experience of dealing with the revenue authorities on some of these kind of reviews and audits of these types of arrangements. It appears to us, that the characterization of these arrangements that's adopted by the various state revenue officers is largely based on their perception of the substance of the arrangement. And they don't place, as as far as you know, based on our anecdotal kind of experience, they, they don't appear to place a lot of weight on the terms of the written agreement between the medical centers and the and the doctors. So I think on this point, when you kind of consider the way that GPs usually run their own practice, usually there's lots of aspects of those arrangements, which mean that GPs are effectively running their own independent business in providing medical services to to patients rather than simply acting on behalf of a, a medical center. The challenge, of course, is that this, is not really acknowledged in the revenue rulings and so we're kind of left with this level of uncertainty regarding an approach which appears not to be based on kind of the the strict reading of the legal contracts between the parties and it's more determined by the revenue officer's perception of the substance of, the, of an arrangement once they've undertaken a, a review or an audit so and I guess on the flip side of that, I think if a court were to ever to look at these arrangements, and you know they have looked at, um, there's, there's been there's been some cases as we'll go on to discuss. I think more weight would be placed on the actual legal agreement, I think there's got to be a balance between what's actually written in the legal agreement as well as the substance of the arrangement. So I think that just means there's just a little bit of uncertainty in terms of how much weight you place on the legal agreement versus the um, the substance of the arrangement.
0: Just to add to that, Keith, I, I guess the, the practical challenge for participants in the industry when you look at the ruling um, is that lots of participants in the industry would quite simply say we don't engage a practitioner to treat patients on our behalf, and as you say, despite the wording of the contracts, it's it appears likely to be the view of the revenue officers that that is what's happening in a typical medical practice structure, despite what might be written down on paper. Um, so it's fundamentally a question of what is the character of the business of the business of a medical centre is the medical center in the business of servicing patients or, or really are they in the business of servicing doctors? And so I think we're left with um, some residual uncertainty with the ruling that's been released.
1: Thanks, Nathan and Keith. Keith, as you mentioned, there have been some recent cases on this issue and the rulings refer to the 2019 decision, Commissioner of State Revenue and Optical Superstore Proprietary Limited and use it as a support for the position that, and I quote, a practitioner engaged by a medical centre to serve patients for or on behalf of the medical centre under a relevant contract, supply services to the medical centre as well as to the patients. Nathan, what are your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting that this all stems back to Optical Superstore. And I suppose it's worth reminding everybody that before this decision or series of decisions, because it went through the tribunal and a couple of layers of the Supreme Court, um, it was pretty well accepted that these medical practice structures that involve the provision of services to practitioners fell outside the scope of payroll tax. And it was broadly for two reasons, I would say. Um, The first is that the parties didn't contemplate that there were any services coming back from the practitioner to the clinic. And secondly, the payments that were handled by the medical centers and passed on to the practitioners um, were never the medical centers' monies. They were just handling funds as agent or trustee. And so when you get to Optical Superstore, there was an interesting chronology of of the cases through the courts around those two concepts and the the main battleground was actually about the existence or not of a payment and that second core question about you know whether there is indeed a service coming back from the practitioner wasn't considered in anywhere near as much detail as the the question of a payment now it was ultimately concluded through the series of cases that the concept of payment in the relevant contract provisions is really broad and it can include a payment of someone else's money um, handled as agent or trustee. But what, what, the, what the courts did say, or the tribunal rather, did say um, about the second question is that the optometrists in that case, in the course of treating their patients, testing their eyes and, and doing what they do, there was this other service that was being provided to the clinic at the same time. And that's what's been picked up in Thomas and Nars, the, the, the subsequent matter that's uh, been heard through New South Wales tribunal courts um, and, and the position that's reflected in the, in the rulings. Where I distinguish the facts in optical superstore from a typical medical practice structure though is that optical superstore, and this is reflected in the decisions, is fundamentally a goods retailer so they make most of their money from selling frames and lenses and they have optometrists that operate out of the clinics largely to generate foot traffic so that once the patients get their prescriptions optical superstore then sells them the frames and lenses that they need and the courts had regard to that and said well look you know, your contracts with the optometrists might say you're providing them services, but they're a fundamental part of your business because you're a business of, of selling goods and you need them to be generating the foot traffic and testing people's eyes in order to to operate your business. I'd argue that it's, it's, it's quite different in a medical practice context. They don't really have any other business. Their business is this service fee income from the practitioners that they look after. So from that perspective, I think there is a, a substantial factual difference from Optical superstore, but that's just my view. It seems uh, that the revenue officers may disagree with me and they've had some success with respect um, to that approach in, in at least some subsequent cases.
1: Thanks, Nathan. So one of the exemptions to the relevant contract provisions in the payroll tax legislation is what is known as the services to the public exemption. It applies where the commissioner is satisfied that the services were performed by a person who ordinarily performs services of that kind to the public generally in the financial year. The recent rulings state that for this exemption to apply, the medical practitioner must provide services of the same kind to other principals such as other medical centres or hospitals. The rulings rely on the recent 2021 decision, Thomas and Nars, Proprietary Limited and Chief Commissioner of State Revenue, as support for their view that the provision of services to patients for or on behalf of a single medical centre may not satisfy this requirement that services are provided to the public generally. Keith, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, thanks Susanna. Um, I, th- I think I. Similar to Nathan's comments on Optical Superstore, I think there was just some interesting ways in which the argument was run and the the kind of the way in which the tribunal at first instance got to its conclusion that the particularly on this point that the services to the public exemption didn't apply. Um, in the first instance, the tribunal decided that the services to the public exemption Um, was not met because one of the elements of meeting that exemption is that none of the other exemptions apply. And what the tribunal found was that the taxpayer hadn't met their burden of proof that the other exemptions didn't apply. I, I just thought that reasoning was a little Interesting and 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 clearly, well, it, it certainly appeared from the way the argument was run that the that it didn't even occur to the taxpayer that they had to first prove that none of the other exemptions applied to then get to the uh, exemption that they were actually trying to satisfy in the service of the public exemption. Um, the the tribunal actually went further than that and said, well, even if that analysis is wrong, um, the The tribunal held that the exemption doesn't apply anyway and that logic was based on the fact that the taxpayer in Thomas and Nars ran their argument on the basis that the service to the public exemption only applies to these types of arrangements in circumstances where a doctor operates a practice. At multiple medical centres, i.e. it doesn't apply just by reason of the fact that the doctor is providing services to patients at one medical centre. And so, um, because the taxpayer kind of assumed that that was the correct analysis, the taxpayer then tried to put on some evidence to support the position that the doctors at Thomas and Nas all worked at other medical centers and and basically what the tribunal said is that that evidence wasn't sufficient because I think what they did was that they got one doctor to provide a statement or an affidavit that said that all of the other doctors worked at other medical centers and and basically the tribunal said well that that's that's not that's that's not reliable evidence. Um, so I think what that means is is that Thomas and Nas hasn't really decided because then when it went through the, the, the various stages to the appeal panel and then on to the Court of Appeal in New South Wales, the, the at both stages they didn't properly then consider this issue as to whether or not the exemption could potentially apply just to the situation where a doctor provide services to, to patients in, in one medical centre. So it's 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 interesting because I think what that means is that this this question hasn't really been decided by a tribunal or a court. And then because then when you have a look at the New South Wales revenue ruling that's that's just been released, it has a statement in it that the chief commissioner's view is that the services to the public exemption doesn't apply to the situation where, uh, you know, take a GP um, acting in a medical centre and providing services to to patients. And the chief commissioner cites as authority for that position, the Thomas and Nars case. But I, I'd like whilst it was the case that the you know that the taxpayer kind of assumed that that was the correct position and ran their argument on that basis I'm not sure that you can really be confident that Thomas and Nas is a is an authority for that position because you know it was kind of assumed by both sides that that was the that the, the, the exemption only applies when doctors or GPS work in multiple medical multiple medical centers so um I think, I mean, when I look at the the way the the plain wording in the in the exemption, and then have a think about the way in which the provisions are set out, and I, I, there's been some case law which I think's made the comment that these relevant contract provisions are so broad that they capture such a such a wide range of arrangements, and and the and and the the way in which it ensures that there are arrangements that are kind of bona fide arrangements that are not intended to be caught and not caught is through the exemptions. And I think when you kind of look at that and you look at the wording, I I mean, from my perspective, I I think it's the case that, I I, I mean, I'm not sure why it's not the case that, that GPs, when they're providing services to patients, I'm not sure why it's not the case that they're not providing services of the same kind to the public who are the patients coming in to see them um, on a regular basis even if they're not you know providing those services at multiple medical centers um, but you know unfortunately uh, there's this kind of uncertainty in the area and I, I actually think it's probably the case that there's going to need to be some further litigation in order to kind of provide some more certainty in this area. Um, because this just seems to be one of those arguments that um, hasn't really been properly ventilated in a, in a court. So I mean fingers crossed, there'll be some more litigation on on this topic. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that, how that plays out given you know the, the various amnesties that now exist in, in some of the other states and um, territories.
0: Yeah, look I, I think um, unless I've missed something, I don't think any of the case law has disputed that the patients are the customers of the doctors. They've they've sort of said maybe the patients are customers of both the clinic and the doctors. But the construction that they seem to be favouring in respect of the services servicing the public exemption seems to sort of almost say the patients are only the customer of the clinic and, and therefore if the doctors don't... You know, the, doc- the doctors don't service more than one separate clinic. They, they, they don't have any other customers that could, be, com- could comprise the public. But that's, that's not what the revenue officers are saying. I, I believe it's still well accepted that the patients are um, patients of the practitioners and it's supported by uh, regulatory frameworks and the like as well. So, yeah, I'm with you, Keith. I, I can't really see how they're not servicing the public and carrying on their businesses. There is a further question then, I guess, Keith. It, within the exemption, the service that's provided to the clinic needs to be the same service as the service that's provided to the public. And that might be another area of of interest um, and debate potentially. But again, you know, it's the same act of treating patients that arguably gives rise to this other service to the clinic and I don't know, I think it would be a stretch to try and argue that that service is anything different um, on that basis. But yeah, time will tell. Hopefully we get some, some clarity one way or another sometime soon.
1: Keith, you mentioned the amnesties. So prior to and since the release of the rulings, the state, gov- state and territory governments have been busy providing affected taxpayers with access to certain amnesties. Nathan, could you please provide an overview of the different amnesties that are currently available for medical centres and medical
0: practitioners? Yes, absolutely. There's a smorgasbord of different concessions and amnesties that have been um, announced in relation to this issue. You may be aware uh, it's been in the press a lot. There's lots of industry body um, lobbying and the like in respect of this issue, and it's become a little bit political as well, because there's interesting industry dynamics, but there's also um, interesting dynamics between state and federal governments and the healthcare system generally that this um, has got a lot of attention. And so we have seen um, some announcements come from four states providing some temporary reprieve in respect of this issue. Um, I know it's temporary because to date, no one's come out and announced a, a long-lasting exemption. But nevertheless, there's some concessions that have, that have been put out there. So Queensland was the the first. They initially came out with a ruling and then very quickly came out with first, I think, just an agreement that they weren't going to go retrospective. And then that subsequently got ratcheted up, up further um, by the Queensland State Government to a, um, a complete amnesty until 30 June 2025 for GP clinics. I should say all of these amnesties, if, if we sort of use that general bucket term, all of these amnesties are limited to general practice arrangements. And that's a, an important point of note because other types of practices may operate under similar structures but won't be covered by these amnesties. Um, so in Queensland provided a general practice registers by uh, the end of September and follow certain administrative requirements. They're going to be exempt in respect of their payments to general practitioners until 30 June 2025. The next one was South Australia, a couple of months back, I think it was April. They've announced um, a, an amnesty until 30 June 2024. And again, it's a it's an opt-in process. Again, I think the registration is, is by the end of, of September. Very recently, um, we've had a, a couple of further announcements come from New South Wales and the ACT. And again, it's an interesting dynamic where you have public ruling released by State Revenue Office and then subsequently um, uh, amnesty relief announced by a separate part of government. But first, New South Wales confirmed that they're going to put a pause on audits for 12 months. Um, Now, this isn't quite an amnesty uh, because really it's just saying we're not going to do any audit activity for a little while. But the expectation based on what's been released is that the current periods are still fair game and have the potential to be audited in future. It's just that those audits won't happen in the next 12 months. The guidance does refer to some um, interest relief and the like as well. So I think practically what I think would happen is if an audit starts after this 12-month period is finished, even though current years may be in the, within the frame of that, you, you, you're going to be charged interest minus You know, minus minus 12 months effectively is how I see that playing out. And then finally, uh, there was an announcement in the ACT where they've said they'll waive payroll tax liabilities of general practitioners where they're not already paying payroll tax until 30 June 2023. So only retrospective, but effectively they're saying you're okay until 1 July this year and you just have to sort out your arrangements moving forward. So very, very different approaches from those four states. Like I said, none of them actually provide a permanent solve for the issue and a number of the states, including um, the largest remaining state being Victoria, um, haven't announced anything at all. So it, it's quite a um, a complicated spot for participants in the industry to find themselves in. And the amnesties potentially could just kick the issue down the road a little bit, rather than helping participants in the industry get the clarity and certainty that they need.
2: Yeah, the only thing I'd probably add to that, Nathan, is just that point around, I know, particularly the Queensland one, um, in order to Get into the amnesty, you're required to make a voluntary disclosure. So there's this interesting issue as is to kind of just the administrative steps that need to be taken in order to put yourself forward for that amnesty. Um, and then also just the, the strategic question around: well, you know, some some practices might not consider that payroll tax applies, but they may still nevertheless, from a conservative point of view, wish to put themselves forward under the amnesty in in order to avail themselves of the benefits, but at the same time reserve their position to take the contrary position that, that payroll tax doesn't apply in any event.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I saw that voluntary disclosure requirement. I think the voluntary disclosure doesn't need to be lodged until 30 June 2025 either, which is kind of interesting. And it says you need to report all of the wages of the clinic, including payments to doctors. Um, it's just that the doctor payments won't be subject to payroll tax. So it seems like the intention is sort of an open book approach where they expect a voluntary disclosure to show, you know, what sort of payments are flowing through your business. It's just that, yeah, a portion of that won't be taxed. And, and I think that's uh, an interesting point you make Keith around does participation in the amnesty you know, imply that you're conceding in any way? Um, I don't see it as that, and I haven't sort of got that impression from any of the, the guidance. It would certainly appear that you can make sure you lock that amnesty in if you're eligible, but continue, can continue to review your own arrangements and seek advice if you, you're still unsure whether payroll tax would even apply based on the revenue officer's view.
1: Thanks Nathan and Keith, Um, there's definitely a lot happening on this issue at the moment and it will be interesting to see what further announcements are made in the near future. Um, Thanks to our guests Nathan Hamilton, KPMG Employment Taxes Partner and Keith Swan, KPMG Law Tax Dispute Resolution and Controversy Partner. My name is Fazana Ahmed, Senior Associate in the KPMG Law Tax Dispute Resolution and Controversy Team. Please do get in touch if you have any questions on what we've discussed today and we look forward to speaking to you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the KPMG Tax Now podcast. If you'd like to ask a question, please send us an email at kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Be sure to subscribe at kpmg.com forward slash au forward slash tax now or follow our LinkedIn page at KPMG TaxNow Insights for regular updates.